0: Internet friends it's great to be back with you and we love sharing with you here.
1: Glenn continues to be ill and we covered your prayers for him he has been to a lot of doctors and even to the hospital with dizziness nauseas, and balance problems at times very serious
0: well this has slowed us down a little bit but it hasn't stopped us and most of the time if I, I just sit in the lounge chair with my computer in my lap I can keep on working on the ministry. I get through it okay. It's aggravating as I've had this for over two months, and God has granted me the relief enough to do four programs over the holidays, so I'm grateful for that. Thank you, Jesus. Linda, what's our song this week?
1: We have looked at this song over a year ago, but we have some history we've never shared before about this song. Our song is Amazing Grace. And this week, Glenn plays it on the harmonica, and then it's different. We all know Amazing Grace as it is one of the most familiar Christian songs ever written.
0: Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see.
1: T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed.
0: Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has bought me, safe thus far, and grace will lead me home.
1: When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Now, Glenn, play Amazing Grace on the harmonica. are life reflections of John Newton, a slave trader who nearly died in a shipwreck and who eventually became a minister. He penned the famous words of Amazing Grace for a sermon for his 1773 New Year's service at the Church of St. Peter in the small British town of Olney. Much later, in 1835, the American Baptist song leader, William Walker, paired the lyrics with a traditional tune, New Britain. Creating the version familiar to audiences today, John Newton was born in London, England in 1725 and died in 1807. His mother had prayed he would become a minister and had early taught him the scriptures, but she died when he was only seven years old. At the age of 11, after two years of schooling, during which he learned the rudiments of Latin, he went to sea with his father. He grew into an abandoned and godless sailor, including a flogging for attempted desertion from the Royal Navy and captivity by a slave trader in West Africa. After his escape, he himself became the captain of a slave ship. In 1754, he gave up the slave trade and, in association with William Wilberforce, eventually became an ardent by, uh, abolitionist, It was uh, December 1772 in only England when at the age of 47, John Newton began the writing of a hymn that would grow increasingly more popular over the next 349 years. In his song, Amazing Grace, Newton writes about a grace that is immense. He writes about amazing grace, one that saved him out of his wretchedness. By looking within the hymn Amazing Grace, one is able to understand a little bit about Newton's personal conversion. Although every person's conversion story is unique, there is something about this hymn that remains relatable to Christians everywhere. Newton discusses where he was when he found God, or rather when God found him. He was a wretch. He was lost. He was blind in sin following his father's career by searching throughout the African coast for slaves to capture and eventually to sail for profit. On one journey, Newton and his crew encountered a storm that swept some of his men overboard and left others with the likelihood of drowning. With both hands fastened onto the wheel of the boat, Newton cried out to God saying, Lord have mercy on us. After 11 hours of steering, the remainder of the crew found safety with the calming of the storm upon arriving safely home newton did not venture out to seek more slaves instead he began to learn hebrew and greek he occasionally accepted requests to speak about his conversion in front of various congregations newton was eventually ordained and began to lead his own church god changed him from a man who was an advocate. For the slave trade to a man actively working towards abolishing it. Newton's literary work against the slave trade encouraged abolitionist William Wilberforce to continue his legal fight against slavery in England. In later years Newton began to lose his memory. Although his thoughts were limited, Newton said he could remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. Mm -hmm. With this conviction of newly found life that he found only in Christ, Newton passed from his earthly life in 1807 at the age of 82. Newton lived long enough to see the signing of the act for the abolition of the slave trade. The song Amazing Grace, although originating in England, appeared in the colonies later, accompanied by a a different tune, more commonly known as New British. The song grew in popularity, but not because it was a catchy tune, but because the words that Newton wrote related to every human being who encountered the saving grace of Jesus Christ. This song touched many people at various stages of their spiritual walks. Since the day that Newton penned the lyrics to Amazing Grace, it has grown in popularity and has been present at numerous key moments in our country's history. Newton experienced the darkness and hopelessness of his sin and the consequence of following his own corrupt ways. He focused on fulfilling what he wanted to do in his life instead of looking to the direction of God. Amazing Grace speaks of the sweetness found in Christ's grace for his children. As humans, we are lost blind in sin and need saving. Jesus' saving grace is amazing. Continuing on to the second stanza, Newton writes that it was grace that taught his heart to fear the punishment of his sin. And it was also grace that those fears were relieved. This precious grace appeared when he was standing in that vicious storm, the moment he first believed. Through the trials and storms of life, it is grace that brings us through life. And it is grace that will lead us to heaven. God has promised goodness and provides his word in which we can rest our hope. He is our shield and portion forever. When our life comes to an end, our possession is joy and peace in Christ. Although our flesh will fail and earth will come to an end, God our creator will remain the same and will be forever with us. When we reach the glorious streets of heaven, we can sing of God's praise forever in His presence. Because of God's sweet and all-encompassing amazing grace, we can have forgiveness for our past, joy in the present, and hope for a future within. Amazing grace is about redemption, the joy of receiving God's grace, even when you have done terrible things. This hymn also conveys a powerful message that speaks to all people. There is the possibility for relief from life's trials and tribulations where one can live a joyful and peaceful life. When Amazing Grace was first published, critics noted the simplicity of the lyrics by the hymn's simple message. The possibility of relief from the trials and tribulations of life connected deeply with the parishioners. The New Testament heavily influences Amazing Grace lyrics. In the Gospel of John, Jesus heals a blind man, a story echoed in the first verse of the hymn, I was blind but now I see. Critics believe that such references to scripture as well as his use of simple exclamations throughout the hymn conveyed Newton's strong faith and ability to connect on a personal level with his parishioners. It didn't become popular right away but gradually it spread among churches of all denominations in America. It became a revival song on the western frontier and an African-American spiritual in black churches and a standard in 20th century hymn books. Since then it has become the most popular and well-known hymn in the world and has gone not just wide but deep. It's to this song that people turn when tragedy strikes. When all hope is lost, we sing Amazing Grace. For all its familiarity, though, there are still many things you probably didn't know about Amazing Grace. The original version of Amazing Grace had six verses, but in 1910, an enterprising hymn book publisher named Edwin Excel replaced the last three verses with the one that begins, When We've Been There Ten Thousand Years. He took it from a hymn called Jerusalem, Our Happy Home, which had over 70 verses. Perhaps he thought no one would notice if he borrowed it. There's also a grammatical mistake in this verse, noticed by sticklers. It should be, we've no fewer days to sing God's praise rather than less days. The tune to which the song is now universally sung is a shape note tune called New Britain from the America South, first published in 1829. However, when the words were originally published 250 years ago, they were separate tune books, and you could mix and match any tune that fit a common meter hymn like Amazing Grace. Some of the early tunes that were used for Amazing Grace have been discovered and they have a very different feel from the tune we know today. New Britain is based on the popular pentotic scale, the black notes on the piano, and this has contributed to its wide appeal. When John Newton wrote Amazing Grace for a service on New Year's Day in 1773, it was to accompany a sermon on First Chronicles 17, 16 through 17. It was published six years later under this same scripture reference as a heading. In this passage, King David responds in amazement to the prophet Nathan's announcement of God's promise to maintain David's line and his kingdom forever. David went before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is mine house that thou hast brought me hitherto? In King, King James Version. In other words, David responded, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He was a murderous, adulterous king who had found mercy and forgiveness, and now God promised he would extend his grace through David's descendants. This grace would ultimately be fulfilled in Jesus Christ as the greater son of David. When John Newton wrote the hymn, it was part of his regular practice of self-examination. He paused at key moments to consider his sins and god's mercies in the past to make his confession and receive forgiveness in the present and to dedicate himself to god's will for the future he wrote in his diary on the first of january 1773 i am now in the 49th year of my age and i may expect in the course of a few years at most to go where I shall no more return may thy grace keep me always waiting till my appointed change shall come and he continued in prayer this was amazing grace is a spiritual practice considering in prayer how God's grace has brought us safe thus far and has his grace will lead us home
0: today I'd like to talk about Christian joy and what more could there be joy for than God's amazing grace? When we read in 1 John 1, 1 through 4, we read Jesus is eternal. He came to this world to live among us and has been raised from the dead. This is a course for great joy among Christians. Paul said in his in uh, writing to the city of Philippia as his joy is in Philippians. And you find that in Philippians 4, one, Joy is something we all long for, but that often seems difficult to grab hold of. Experiencing joy should be a part of every Christian's life. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit produced by God's work in us, and it's part of God's will for us. Literally, fruit of the Spirit is what happens when the Holy Spirit indwells a believer. The fruit is a product of the Holy Spirit's cultivation of character in the heart. Galatians 5, 23 describes what that fruit looks like. The characteristic of joy are uh, listed is joy. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law. The concept of joy being the fruit of the Holy Spirit is indeed the central fact in pre- preaching of Christianity. Paul is explaining that when a person became a believer, he received the Holy Spirit The Spirit works within them to produce these virtues or fruits in the character. Joy is one of these fruits, along with love, peace, patience, and others. The idea that Christians allow the Holy Spirit to work in their lives, they should increasingly manifest these qualities, including joy, as a natural outgrowth of their relationship with God. This joy is not dependent on external circumstances, but is a deep abiding sense of well-being and contentment that comes from being in a right relationship with God. It's important to note that while joy is a fruit of the Spirit, Christians may still experience moments of sadness, sorrow, or difficulty in life. However, the joy that comes from the Spirit is a source of strength and resilience, even in the midst of trials and challenges, it is deep-seated and lasting joy that transcends all circumstances. The Greek word for joy is chara. Joy is a natural reaction to the work of God, whether promised or fulfilled joy expresses god's kingdom his influence on the earth as we see in romans fourteen seventeen. the spirit's production of joy can manifest in several different ways we read for the kingdom of god is not eating or drinking but righteousness and peace and joy in the holy spirit the joy of deliverance is when God sets someone free, and rejoicing is in order. In First Samuel two one, Hannah was filled with joy at her deliverance from her enemies. Acts two fourteen, the servant girl is overflowed with joy so much that that. That God had rescued Peter from the prison that you forgot to let Peter in, in the house. There is great joy in salvation. Our greatest reason to be joyful is that God wants to save us and spend eternity with us. Nothing is better than this. Luke fifteen seven. all heaven is joyful when a person accepts God' provision of salvation. Acts 8, 8 says the people of Samaria were joyful as they heard a gospel and also saw God's power in a healing spirit. On in Acts 13, 52 and fifteen three the Jewish believers rejoiced when they heard of the work of the Holy Spirit and the Gentiles. The joy of spiritual maturity as the Holy Spirit works in us to bear more fruit, we become confident in God's promise and rejoice in our walk with Him and with other believers. John five eleven says The fullness of joy comes to those who continue to love the love of Christ and obey Him. In Corinthians one twenty four and seven four. And at Thessalonians 2, 19, 39, Paul says, uh, Paul knew joy as the churches gave evidence of the Holy Spirit's working in them. Philippians 2, 2, 2 groups the believer who unite in demonstrating the mind of love and purpose of Christ. And that brings joy to others. Processing joy is a choice. We choose whether to value God's presence. Promise. And the work in our lives. When we yield to the Holy Spirit. He opens our eyes to God's grace around us. And fills us with joy. It says in Romans fifteen thirteen. Joy is not to be found in the fallen world. It's only fellowship with God that can make our joy complete. First John 1-4 John says, Is there a difference between joy and happiness? There is no explicit difference between happiness and joy. Both involve the emotions and both are pleasurable feelings. And both are mentioned In the Bible. The joy of God's presence. The Holy Spirit draws us to God, in whose presence we can know true joy. Without the Holy Spirit no one would seek God. Psalm sixteen eleven says, You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasure at your right hand. In both Matthew 210 and Luke 14, mary and the shepherds were joyful because emmanuel had been born in matthew 28 8 and luke twenty-four forty-one, the woman who went with uh, went to uh, Jesus' tombs and the disciples were overjoyed that he rose from the dead the greek char is close to related to charis which means graced or a gift Charl is the normal response to Charis. We have joy because of God's grace. The next step in the progression is to allow our joy to become the action as we express it. Although sometimes joy can be so great it's inexpressible. We see that in 1 Peter 1 8. Instead of hopelessness, we have the promise that he will make all things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28. Only God could take the very bad and transform it into something very good. Even when walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil, it says in Psalms 23.4. Our good shepherd never abandons us. And our suffering is always purposeful. We can see that in Psalms 56.8. The Lord can take our broken pieces in our lives and create a mosaic that blesses the world. It is often the darkest pain that becomes the brightest light when we entrust it to him. Joy comes in the morning when we awaken to the purpose and see that even our mistakes, sorrow, and confusions have become the foundation on which God builds his ministry. David understood that. He was anointed king as a teenager, as we see in First Samuel sixteen, thirteen. But he spent many years and ran from Uh, from the uh, reigning king of Saul. But those years were not wasted, hard as they were. It was during those years that David penned many of his psalms that now comfort millions. The apostle Paul heard the prison door slam behind him. And for two long years, he sat in the jail cell preaching the gospel. Those years many seem wasted. Yet it was during that imprisonment that he wrote four books of the New Testament. God allows pains and struggles in our lives to refine us like gold," we see in First Peter 6. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 Jesus was God in the flesh yet he suffered terribly while he was on the earth that we would know he understands our pain. Hebrews 4 15 and 5, 7 and 8 show us that. As bad as it is in this moment for joy is set before him and he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews twelve 2. We're told to consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart See that in verse 3. So Jesus models for us what it means that joy comes in the morning. What is the joy of the Lord? The joy of the Lord is a gladness of heart that comes from knowing God, abiding in Christ, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was born, the angels announced, glad tidings, great joy in Luke 2.10. All who find Jesus know with the shepherds of the nativity that the joy he brings. Even before his birth, Jesus had brought joy, as asserting to Mary's song in Luke one forty seven, And by John's response to hearing Mary's voice, as he leaped for joy in his mother's room, womb, in Luke one forty four. Jesus exemplified joy in his ministry. He was not strict that he did. Ha- he was not so strict that he didn't have a happy life. Rather, his enemies accused him of being too joyful on occasion. See Luke seven thirty four. Jesus described himself as a bridegroom, enjoying the wedding feast. Mark two eighteen through twenty. He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. See that in Luke ten twenty one. He spoke of my joy, John fifteen eleven, and promised to give his disciples a lifetime supply of it in John sixteen twenty four. Joy is reflected in many of Jesus' parables along with the three stories that we see in Luke fifteen. When men should rejoice in the presence of the angels, Luke fifteen ten, and with a joyful shepherd, a joyful woman, and a joyful father. Nehemiah told the Repentance repentant israelites that the joy of the lord would be their strength and nehemiah 8:10 the early church was characterized with gladness and the joy of the lord acts 2:42 and 13:52 and the joy of the holy spirit is a distinguishing mark in the kingdom of god we see in romans 14:17 those who are part of the kingdom kingdom those who are part of the kingdom share in the kingdom's delight because of its supernatural origin the joy of our lord our gladness of heart is present even though the trials of life we know that we are children of god and no one can snatch us away from him john 10:28-29 we are heirs to an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, and no one can steal it from us, 1 Peter 1, 4, and Matthew six twenty. We see the author and finisher of our faith, and let the enemy rage even so much. We know who wins in the end, Hebrews twelve two, and Psalms 2. Faith is... Is the victory that overcomes the world, and the joy of the Lord is our strength. Adverse circumstances, instead of hindering our faith, can actually enhance our faith and joy. Paul and Silas knew adversity as they sat with their feet in stocks in the Philippian jail cell their legal rights had been violated they'd been arrested without cause beaten without a trial and at midnight since they couldn't sleep they sang loudly to praise the Lord they were serving we see in Acts 1625 a miracle soon followed as we see it beginning in uh, verse 26 the apostles in Jerusalem were arrested twice and ordered not to preach in Jesus' name. And the second time, they were forced in court. They were beaten. Unfazed, they returned home, rejoicing, because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace in the name and ready to preach it some more. Acts 5.41. Of course, the apostles were only following the example of the Lord who had, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. See Hebrews 12.2. The joy of the Lord may be inexplicable to the one who does not possess it. But for the believer in Christ the joy of the Lord becomes as natural as the grapes on a grape, sun, vine. As we abide in Christ, the true vine, we, the branches, are full of his strength and vitality, and the fruit we produce, including joy, is his doing. See John fifteen five. Why did Nehemiah say the joy of the Lord is your strength there in Nehemiah 8:10. In Nehemiah 8, the people of of Judah had just finished rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. It was not as high or as thick or as impressive as it once was, and certainly less impressive than the walls of other cities and enemy cities. The people had many det- detractors who did not want the walls to be rebuilt, the next step was to rebuild the people by teaching them the law of God, that they had been neglected in, the, in many respects. Ezra read the book of the law to the people. Ezra read the book of the law to the people who were convicted by their ignorance and disobedience they were repentant, and they began to weep. However, as important as revival was, God did not want his people to remain dejected. He had not rejected them. That was in the process of restoring them. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the teacher of the law, the levites were instructing the people to them all this day the holy this day is holy to the lord your god do not mourn or weep for all the people have been weeping as they listen to the words of the law nehemiah said go enjoy choice fruits and sweet drinks and and send some to these who have nothing prepared, this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy; the Lord is your strength. The Levites claimed all, calmed all the people by saying, "Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve." Then all the people went away to drink and eat, and to send portions of food to celebrate with great joy, because to them, in Nehemiah 8, 9 through 11, the people understood how they had disobeyed and neglected the Lord. They, said, they were said, however, in, in, uh, in their repentance, God wanted them to resort, rejoice and not grovel in guilt. They came to understand God's word, and in fact, that He was forgiving them. God wanted them to rejoice in, their stre- in His strength, and was renewed as they went from the morning to feasting and rejoicing. Joy is a tremendous strength. So, uh, joy is a tremendous source of strength. If a person is down and discouraged, almost any obstacle or hardship is enough to incapacitate him or her. A joyful heart is a good medicine, but a crushed spirit rise up the bones. We read in Proverbs seventeen twenty-two. This can be true for anyone. Emotional energy is extremely powerful. That is why coaches give motivational speeches to their players. When a person is up, it will accomplish far more than when a person is down. Joy provides strength. A person suffering from a physical ailment or pain, but who is filled with joy, is surviving much better than the discouraged person in the same condition. Joy can make Every person, forget his pain and limitations. And it's fact, it's better to have joy in suffering and despair, in ease and luxury. Joy is available in a variety of placements. A person can have received joy from individuals from any circumstances. The primary difference between joy is that It provides a person and uh, and circumstance. And the joy that comes from the Lord is consistency and duration. People will fall. Circumstances will change. But a person whose joy and strength are from those sources will inevitably be consistent. That person will be up and down. Writing the ways of alternating joy and sadness, encouragement and discouragement. Peter also tackles the subject of joy through trials. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds in trials. These has come that your faith of greater worth than gold gold, which perish, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may have result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not set him, seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe him and him And are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving. The goal of your faith. The salvation of your soul. See that in 1 Peter 1. 6 through 9. In both the passages, passages. We see instructions. Of what we consider. Pure joy. In this. You greatly joy? Why? Because trials make us stronger. First, we need to understand that joy is the, it, that the world gives is not the same as joy the spirit gives. Worldly joy or happiness comes and goes as often as waves hitting the shore. It isn't, a, it, it, it isn't something you can cling to when you've lost a loved one or faced bankruptcy. The Spirit's joy or happiness, on the other hand, can stay with you for the long haul. For the belief of the fruit of the Spirit, including joy, is like a bottomless well of water. There's always an abundant supply Even in the darkest days, when sadness, grief, and loss may threaten to overwhelm you. God's joy is there. Second, we need to understand that God's joy cannot be taken away. Oh, you might think it is gone, that the hands of misfortune have snatched it from you, but it's not. As believers, we have been promised a constant presence of the Holy Spirit. We're promised his joy. Just as our salvation is assured through Jesus, one time sacrifice for all. Jesus' word in John fifteen eleven, say, I have told you so many that my joy may be in you. And that joy may be complete, just like salvation. Joy is a free and perfect gift from Him. And we must reach out and accept that gift. Grab onto it like a lifeline. Choose joy over bitterness, angerness, anger, and sorrow. Make a decision to choose joy every day, no matter what. Look at these examples in Scripture out of the most severe trials. Their overflowing joy, the extreme poverty, welled up in enriched generosity. For I testify they gave us so much they were unable and even bond their ability. 2 Corinthians eight two three. 3. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians one six. Be joyful always. We see that in first Thessalonians five sixteen. And the best illustration of all is Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12.2 All through the scriptures we see the persecution of the church and the trials and hardships that the believers have faced. The challenge then is to truly learn how to consider each trial a joy. You can endure whatever circumstances making you quake in your boots right now. If you've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ, you have all you need. Grab on to God's joy. Let me take a moment and say this, my friends I care about you, I want to share this wonderful joy with you. I want you to have what God wants you to have. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and nothing else, you can't have this joy. I invite you to do it today. You see, God loves you so much, He has shown His love to you by dying on the cross just for you. This is a free gift of His to you. Receive this gift of salvation today and you can too can have access to this wonderful joy. If you'd like to talk to me some more about this, I'm available to talk. And you can email me at glendawson at twc.com or glenn at saxymusic.com. Remember, Glenn spelled G-L-E-N-N, two N's.
1: God has been so gracious to allow us this podcast. And we are thankful for this Even though we did not ask anyone for money, we have had help from our audience.
0: When our songs are played, we received a small royalty of a nickel. So we want to say thanks for all of you folks who listen to our songs. It builds up.
1: As you listen to our music while you are traveling or working around the house, or whatever you're doing, we trust you enjoy the music and pray it's a spiritual blessing to you remember you are helping keep our ministry going just by listening
0: and that brings joy to us (laughs) if you don't have a streaming service already to listen to our music for free just sign on the YouTube audio channel you can find that at www.youtube.com forward slash at symbol we are forgiven to listen to our songs. You can check out our video channel there, too.
1: If you have Alexa or Echo, just say, play the music of Glenn Dawson and listen as long as you like for free. If you're not getting our newsletter, go to our website at glendawsonea.com and click on Newsletter.
0: Folks, that concludes our podcast this week. Hope to see you again next week. Until then, God bless you and remember, we We love love y'all. Bye Bye for for now. now.